as a pastor or staff member of a church. It is common to experience compassion fatigue and find that you spend so much time caring for others, you're not caring for yourself. Saga wants to help foster healthy churches by facilitating the support of the emotional, mental, and relational health of their leaders. As a partner of Saga, pastors and staff can confidently and easily begin their journey by being uniquely matched to a therapist that best fits their needs. To learn more about a church partnership with Saga, go to sagacenter.org. That's S-A-G-A center.org. Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to episode 256. My name is Rusty George, and today I've got a special treat for you. Over the past five years, I've had a chance to get to know Lane Jones, who is an author, a speaker, but he's probably better known for the guy who made Andy Stanley who he is today. Now, he wouldn't like me to say that, but behind every great leader is a group of other leaders that make them better, and Lane happens to be one of those. He helped pioneer and launch North Point Church. He also helped lead and launch North Point Ministries, helps thousands of churches be able to be resourced and to be helped and encouraged throughout the entire United States. Lane also hosts a podcast with Andy Stanley on a monthly basis where there are millions of people that listen to that, as well as their weekly broadcasts of their church service online and also in many TV markets following Saturday Night Live. Lane is transitioning into a different role and he sat down with me to reflect on what has happened in the meteoric rise of North Point and what he learned from leading from the second chair. Well, I want to thank our friends at Saga Counseling for their support today and throughout this time. They have been incredible friends of ours. They've helped out a lot of people in need. And if you are interested in learning more about receiving some therapy or some counseling, go to sagacounseling.com, sagacounseling.com. Therapy is not the voodoo stuff that a lot of us were taught growing up. Therapy is not that bizarre subject you're not allowed to talk about. It is the reality of how we help ourselves mentally and spiritually. Make sure you check out sagacounseling.com. Okay, well, here's my conversation with Lane Jones. Lane Jones, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, For our listeners that don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Uh, Well, first of all, Rusty, it's great to be with you guys and uh, to be on the podcast. And um, I guess uh, the... The reason that I'm on here is I'm connected with North Point Ministries, North Point Community Church here in beautiful Alpharetta, Georgia, and um, know you through our Irresistible Church Network. So um, that's how we've gotten to know each other over the years and excited about that. Uh, A little bit about me, uh, I guess the important things, I've been married to Tracy 38 years this summer. Uh, We have three grown kids. Our fifth and sixth grandchildren are on the way, mm. and um, so those are those are the important things. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, born and raised here in Atlanta, so that makes me uh, a unique unique uh, creature because there are very few people my age who actually are from Atlanta who are still in Atlanta. <laughs> Everybody here is from somewhere else, but uh, it's uh, it's a, it's a great place to be. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm uh, currently the multi-site uh, director 
for North Point Ministries, which means I oversee our eight local campuses as well as our, our partner network. And by oversee, that means I get to meet with the guys who really run the thing, but uh, some great, great leaders who are involved with that. But um, that's my current assignment, uh, but I've been a part of North Point uh, since the beginning. So uh, started 27 years ago uh, this summer or this fall. So uh, yeah, done a little bit of uh, everything in between. But so anyway, that's sort of the, that's the top sheet. That's great. Well, uh, I got to ask you about this Atlanta thing. I, I didn't realize people actually leave there. I thought everybody who's from that area just stays there. That's why the the town is growing so rapidly. Uh, because I mean, I think the joke. Well, I guess yeah. The joke is Atlanta is eventually going to take over the entire state. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So, uh, what's the draw there? Well, why do people yeah. want to live in Atlanta? Well, I, let me just say that when I was in high school, there were less than a million people in Atlanta. Now wow. there's somewhere almost to 7 million. And it's not because we all had a bunch of kids. I'm just saying most everybody in Atlanta are from somewhere else. And, uh, so they've, uh, actually quite a few people showing up from your neck of the woods right now. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, uh, we're, you know, might, maybe on their way to Florida, but yeah, there are uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of people from, from all over, but, uh, you know, it's a great place to be. Uh, if you can, if you like humidity, especially right. if you like to, to wear your weather, this is the place to be. So. <laughs> well, it's the home of Chick-fil-A, Coca-Cola, uh, Home Depot, is that right? That's right, yeah. And not too far from the University of Georgia Bulldogs, two times national oh, champion. Oh, I knew you'd bring it up. So, so yeah, so had to, yeah, got to represent. Uh, was, the, <laughs> was the first championship more exciting than the second, or was it just really sweet to repeat? Uh, probably both. But yeah, the first one was, was sweeter because the, the previous one before that was actually when I was a student at the University of Georgia. So when they say it's been 40 years, I was there that, that, that 40 years ago. So, uh, <laughs> I remembered the first one. So yeah, the, 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 the one, two years ago was probably the sweetest cause it took so long to come. So, right. Yeah, and it was, was it over Alabama? Um, yes, it was. I mean, that, only made it 10 times sweeter, but yes, it, 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 it was. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. Beating up on TCU just didn't seem like it was even fair. So, yeah, well, uh, well, good, good for you. We always venture into sports at some point on the podcast. <laughs> so now, now we've done that. So good luck to you next year. Thanks. Uh, okay. So you're, you have this unique role where you serve at a very large and uh, highly influential church, influential church in the world, specifically in, in America. Um, but you've been there from the days when nobody knew what it was. You were there from the beginning days yeah. uh, when you guys started kind of as a uh, an offshoot from First Baptist down there. Did you work at First Baptist with Andy under Charles? I did. I was on staff there for 10 years prior to starting North Point. So that's actually where I started my ministry and, and really the only two only two churches I've ever worked at. I, I I you know had a brief sojourn when I was in seminary where I, I basically turned lights on and off at a church in Dallas, but uh, no ministry role. But um but yeah no my ministry has been at either First Baptist Atlanta or here at North Point. Tell me about the days at First Baptist. These were in the heyday of Charles Stanley 
Dr. Charles Stanley. Yeah, uh, Dr. Charles in, Stanley. Incredible yeah. communicator, leader, teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, w what What do you still remember about your days with, uh, with Dr. Stanley? Oh, well, I mean, honestly, I... I know I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it weren't uh, for him. I'm not, I'm not shortchanging the role of the Holy Spirit and God's calling and providence and all that, but I know he's who God used uh, to, to draw me into ministry. And um, really in, in a lot of ways uh, back to Christ, um, <laughs> you know, I, I began to, yeah, I, I was saved at an early age uh, as you know, a lot of us were, but then, you know, got into high school and, first couple of years of college and, you know, thought, well, I have that whole thing figured out. And then as is the case with a lot of us, we realized we don't really have life figured out, uh, began to look for some answers and, uh, you know, God led me to First Baptist and uh, began to get involved there and later in my, my college career and in uh, just post-college. And uh, honestly, it was his teaching and, um, you know, I think just the clarity and the 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 certitude that he taught with that was was both refreshing and challenging, and and really set the course uh, for my life. You know, as a as a follower, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a lot of you know, he just spoke a ton into my life, and so hmm. um, yeah, I had no interest at all in my early you know, high school, early college careers of going into ministry. It didn't even enter my mind. But uh, when I, I I saw there the, you know, not just what God was up to, but that, you know, people were committed to doing it with excellence and doing, um, you know, it, it was like ministry became a, 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 a role. I mean, it became a career as, you know, unfolded out in front of me. And, and you know, so, yeah, I, I say quite often, I, I owe so very much, you know, to, to him. And, hmm. and I think we would all say, you know, we, we all stand on his shoulders to a certain degree. At some point during your working there at First Baptist, you, you meet or start working with Andy. Mm -hmm. uh, were you guys working together? Were you in his youth ministry? Uh, how, does, how, does, how was the connection there? Yeah, initially we didn't work together. We actually started on staff the same month. Um, is the summer of uh, I gotta get the date. Summer of '85, and uh, he had just finished DTS, and I had just come on staff, and um, and you know, so I I had known of Andy because he actually dated a friend of mine in high school, but we didn't really know each other. But then he started um, what we called Good Stuff, which was the the name of the the student ministry, and um, it was just exciting. You know, it was sort of that you know, where things were really happening there at First Baptist. So started volunteering over there. And um, he and I actually led a, a senior high school um, Sunday school class together and um, where we pulled together some what we thought were some of the best and brightest seniors. And we did a, a Sunday school class specifically for them and um, actually was part of the process God used to, I had been involved more on the administration side and uh, sort of the the pastoral administration track and um, used to, you know, God used that and some other discipleship stuff I was doing to really kind of be like, no, I think, you know, I think you want to step over into the ministry world a little bit more. 
And uh, actually, that's when I left for about 18 months to go to seminary and um, hmm. came back and then started working in our discipleship ministry. And then about that time is when uh, we started what became First Baptist North, which was, if you've read uh, if you've read the first two chapters of Deep and Wide, you've heard the, the soap opera story, but uh, <laughs> a group of us went out and started First Baptist North and, uh, you know, just had a great time trying some new things and, and really sort of doing some things and trying some things that became the, the incubator to a certain extent for a lot of the things that we did here at, at North Point following that. So, um, that was, uh, I guess, early 90s, 92, 93, somewhere in there. And uh, there I did work directly for Andy and been working for him ever since. You just can't get away, can you? Oh, no, you can't get rid of me that easy. No, uh, I know a good thing when I got it. So oh, of course. Oh. Okay, so I, I'd love to know just a little bit of the progression. Uh, three decades of North Point, mm -hmm. the early days, I mean, that's just got to be the wild and crazy time of setting up, tearing down. You were leading worship. You were wearing a suit. That's right. Uh, I've heard the stories, seen the pictures. What were the early days like mm -hmm. uh, in that first decade of doing church? Uh, together and, and launching North Point. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, I, I mean, the fact that I was the worship leader will tell you that everybody did whatever they could do. I mean, you know, when it was like <laughs> there were there were six of us, and it was kind of like if you could do it, that was you know that was your job. And even if you couldn't do it, it became your job. I, I remember uh, it, it was just it was in that period of time really that the internet became you know, sort of like not just a strange thing that nerds did. It was kind of like, oh, we need to post, you know, our our uh, service times on the internet. And it's like, everybody kind of looked around and was like, <laughs> all right, I'll be the webmaster. So I went to like Office Max and bought one of those little boxes, you know, create a website, created a website. So you just, it literally was whatever you could do, you did. And, uh, and it, it honestly, Rusty, it was a blast. I mean, we... We had seen some success at First Baptist North, and you know the the church had grown, and what we were trying had grown. And and by trying, I just meant we were trying some some non traditional worship, some you know different things. You remember people used to do drama in church and those kind of things. <laughs> we were trying that. So I mean, that's how long ago this was. Now it's like yeah. things now that we were like, wow, let's try that. We'd be like, oh gosh, I can't even believe we did that. But um, right, but because we had seen that, I think there was always something inside of us that thought, you know what, if God used us to do that once, I think, you know, there's a good chance he'll use us to do that again. And so it wasn't a matter of, of you know, well, do we think this thing can work? It was, do we, you know, you know, how, how does, you know, for, for lack of a better term, you know, how's God going to do it this time? Uh, because, you know, we, we knew we had a big, you know, we had a lot of wind at our back. I'll just say that through First Baptist Atlanta and through the, you know, the people there. So um, I don't want to say the early days, you know, didn't have moments of, you know, hey, you know, if, if things don't turn around, we, you know, this, this thing could go the other way. I mean, we had those moments where, I mean, we used to joke about, you know, the mail would come in and, you know, we'd kind of like, put the stack of mail in front of somebody. And, you know, if they opened a big check, it was like, ah, oh, you open the rest of them because, you know, you've got a hot <laughs> hand today. So, I mean, because there was a time where it was like, wow, we've, 
you know, we've got to prove this, you know, we've got to see, you know, this thing actually uh, pan out. But at the same time, I think we always trusted that God had called us to do what we were doing and that, that as I said, we had seen him do it before and we, we trusted that he would do it again. Um, but that was really in the idea of a church, a local church that would impact its community. What, what God has done since then, I mean, we say all the time, he, I mean, he blew past our vision, you know, in about the, the, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh year. And since then we've kind of been holding on and uh, just seeing what he was, you know, going to do next. So, you know, so yeah. So in some ways those were just amazingly, um, you know, innovative, but also just fun years, a very hard work, lots to do. Like you said, set up, tear down, those of you who are listening, who are in that season, hmm. you know, you wouldn't wish it on anybody, but once it's done and you look back on it, you know, you're going to miss part of it. And you'll always remember the the people who were in the trenches with you doing that. And um, mm-hmm. we had some amazing people who were doing that. We had some people. Now, the thing that we appreciate so much now that we are in our <clears throat> 60s and, you know, sort of getting toward that, that um, you know, older generation is there were people who were our age now back then who wrote some incredibly large checks and handed over to a bunch of 30 somethings who had an idea and had a thought that you know this could work and we could have a different kind of church and they got behind it and um the the you know bittersweet part of that is we're we're in the season now of, of losing some of them. And, um, mm. you know, that's, that's tough, but it's also, you know, there's that sweet reward of knowing that they're experiencing, uh, some rewards for the faithfulness that they showed 30 years ago. And, uh, so mm. it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a special time to look back on, but yeah, it was, it was crazy too. It was, it was holding on. You know, for uh, for all of us who have been through something like that, maybe not at the scale of North Point, but just the startup stage, the movie theater or the high school stage, and then you get into a building and then things really take off, mm. there comes that moment where it's no longer the little engine that could. It's no longer this, hey, this is going to be, okay, let's give it the college try. It's, oh, goodness, we got to act like grownups now. This is a yeah. big-time organization. and. <laughs> There's people that are actually kind of trusting us with their marriage or their kids. or Right. And then you kind of go through these growing pains. There's the growing pains of you got to add a lot of staff. You've got to maybe you've outgrown some staff and maybe some people that got you there can't get you to the next level. Yeah. How'd you guys manage that? I'm sure there were some wins and losses, but, you know, what'd you learn along the way? What were some of the difficult times? How'd you, how'd you get through some of the growing pains in the early days of North Point? Yeah, I think uh, you're exactly right. I think that that every everybody who's part of anything that grows, you know, experiences those seasons. I think, I think one of the things that Andy um, did, one of the many things, but one of the things specifically that helped in that particular um, uh, process is that he always he always kept us focused on then, not now. It's like, no, no, we're not focused on now. We're focused on then. Where are we headed? What do we need to do to get there? And what does life need to look like now to to um, to make sure we're ready for then? And so, um, <laughs> one of our original uh, things that we talked about in in some of our our uh, 
ministry principles act like then is now just act like then is now it actually hmm. was uh was going to be uh part of the 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 book that we did um just on you know the you know principles of ministry but it yeah we wanted to get down to seven so it didn't make the cut but um we we honestly just kept focusing on no, this isn't this isn't about how we do things now. This is about what do we need to do now to be ready for then. And um, yeah, I remember two or three really difficult conversations, both on that I've had to have and that other people had to have, where someone you know the job just outgrew them. And um, you know the the easy thing, the the now thing to do is to let them you know stay in that role. It's their role. They started it. It's their ministry, you know, and so we're just going to stick with now. But when you recognize that where we're headed as an organization is going to require a change of, of position, you know, you, you have to make that, you have to make that step. And I will say that every person um, without exception understood that and said, you know, I, I don't want to be the thing that holds back what God is doing here. So, you know, they either moved into a different role or they, stepped aside or they went on and did something different, but it was, uh, it was always connected to vision. It was always connected to where God was taking us, not where we have been or where we were. Boy, that's such a, a, a gift that you were given there. This whole idea of staff members being willing to kind of be open-handed and say, you know what, I only hold this job for a while. Right. Was that something you kind of started the whole effort with? Hey, we're going to start this thing. We might not hold it forever. Let's keep our hands open. I hear, you know, uh, people from North Point talk about the open-handed policy a lot of just being open to whatever God does. But yeah, it seems like that that's a great idea when you get started. But once you develop your own little kingdom of ministry, you think, hey, don't take this from me. I built this thing. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to say that that it's, you know, it, it always goes where, you know, people are coming in saying, you know, I've noticed that I'm holding us back. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not always that, but yeah, I would say it has been such a part of our culture and, you know, so much of part of our, our staff behaviors and what we value as a staff that, that, um, that it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's not intuitive. It doesn't come second nature, but it, it is so valued that, that when it's, identified and when you know when when you have that conversation where it's like hey this is what we need to do for the good of the organization or for the future or for whatever you know the the first response quite often is hey i'm going to be open-handed with this i'm gonna you know if, if this is where we think we need to go now i may make my case i may be like well, let me tell you why i don't think it's where we need to go or let me tell you why i think and it's like but you know at the end of the day if if you know, the conversation is made. I just saw it happen in a, a meeting the other day where, you know, we needed to move something on the calendar and it was like, ah, oh, this is going to be a lot of work for a particular area or whatever. But, you know, and they even, you know, use the phrase, it's like, look, we're going to be open-handed. We're going to do this. We just want you to know what it's going to take from us hmm. to make this happen. But once we do that, if the organization says we need to make this change, we'll make it work. And so I think it's been modeled enough and, and it's just so much a part of the culture from day one that, uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 an easy decision to make. It's tough to act out and to act on. You know, it's it's hard work at times. But you know, when that's your posture, it 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 becomes second nature. There was a moment when you guys began to develop a lot of notoriety. Books are being written by you. Um, 
conferences are happening. People are visiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that you had that that moment where the building's done, and now you see all these these pastors walking around in the lobbies at, on Sunday, taking pictures and bringing their staff to visit. And I mean, I did it. So yeah, you got these you got all these conferences going on and all these things. And and man, now you're not just helping in one church, you're helping many churches. Mm-hmm. Um, did that feel like a greater weight? Is that where North Point Ministries kind of came about? Is that, you know, was there a, was there a meeting that you remember where we just, you guys decided, well, listen, we got to, we got to recognize that we're helping more than just us. Let's lean into it rather than lean away from it. Um, yes, but it, it also, I think at our core, we, and, and I think you've heard you know, if you listen to Andy enough, especially in conference settings, I mean, he will still say at heart, I'm still a local pastor. I mean, I still, you know, the the things that drive my um, decision making and my priorities and what I do, you know, he's like, first, I'm a, I'm a husband and a father, and then I'm a local pastor. So I'm I'm going to always prioritize my, you know, my church and my, my churches. So I think as our profile began to go up and people began to be like, Hey, you know, you know, what can we learn? Can you do this? Can you do that? Um, you know, we, we wrestled through that and there were churches who, who were very well known for conferencing and for, for adding to the capital C church. And so we, we got so much out of that. We didn't want to be like, well, that's not our role. We're going to, you know, we're going to remain close handed when it comes to that. We definitely wanted to be open handed, but we, I feel like we did it with the mindset of whatever we can do to be uh, to make our churches more effective. We want to be able to share that with as many people as we can. But we're not out to create things to help, you know, just to be known as that church that helps other uh, other churches or that somehow becomes the notoriety becomes, you know, being the church that other churches go to. We wanted to prioritize our local churches, knowing that the more effective we were at doing what we were doing, the more helpful it would be, you know, to the capital C church and to, to everyone else. So um, as Andy has said many times at drive our, our conference or anything else is like we, you know, we didn't really feel like we had the responsibility to fill up anybody else's cup. Our responsibility was to empty ours. And so as we, learned and as we grew and as we had anything to offer we tried to offer it and and pour it out and find the best ways to um to export that out uh, to the to you know other churches and other leaders such as yourself but it always came from a position of does this make us more effective does this make us stronger does this make us better at you know you know encouraging people and, and equipping people to follow jesus and so you know, if it did, then we did it. If it didn't, you know, then we didn't, which is one of the reasons why we we only do drive every other year. Um, I think one year we were off for three years because we were actually, it came to the place where it was a drive year and we were opening a new campus. And we sat down and had a discussion. It was like, hey, ordinarily we would do drive this year, but we're opening Gwinnett Church. You know, what do we think we should do? And we made a decision organizationally that, opening Gwinnett Church well should be the priority and whatever margin drive was going to take out wasn't worth risking opening Gwinnett Church well. So, you know, we, we skipped a year. So, but we also feel like it takes about two years for us to, to learn enough stuff that we feel like it, you know, we can say, hey, come on, we've got something else 
you know, to share or something else to, to maybe teach. Hey, let me interrupt this podcast for just a second to remind you, if you're not taking care of your mental health, nobody is. Step up and go check out sagacenter.org to find out more. All right, back to our show. Um, I, I want to ask you about kind of that the next stage of, of North Point, because you're learning all these things. You're growing. You add the uh, the second auditorium, which we all showed up to look at, the the, right. the Siamese uh, auditorium, as you call them. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, comes this idea to do multi-site, which you guys do a little bit differently. Right. Uh, there's a lot of autonomy. Yeah. They do show video, but they also teach. Um, it's a little bit different than maybe a traditional uh, multi-site like a, a life church. Right. Um, having done multi-site for several years now and having gone through the, all right, we did it. It was great. It was great. And then all those guys left to go do their own thing. And now we're doing it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. What, what looking back, do you think, Oh, I I wish we would have known this or done this. That would have helped us a lot. Cause there's a lot of churches that are kind of like just getting into the multi-site world. Right. And maybe they miss, maybe they miss the wave altogether. But what would you say looking back that, you know, boy, if I had to do it again, I'd make sure I did this and make sure I didn't do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think to me the the a, a bullet that we dodged to a certain degree in that that we had no other choice is that why you do multi site is is in some ways more important than how you do multi site. Not not always, but mm. but I always tell guys if you're Doing, if you're going multi-site to create momentum instead of to help you manage momentum, you're, you know, it's like having a child to save your marriage. I mean, it is a bad decision <laughs> because you are taking something that's already not working and you are about to exponentially complicate it by trying to do it somewhere else at the same time. So, wow. so uh, you know, I, I think, and I've, I've met some people like, I just feel like if we do multi-site, that's going to create some synergy on the staff. It's going to create, it's like, no, it's, it's really not. It's going to take whatever is bad or whatever is, you know, like stretched really thin. And it's going to cause that to break. And it's going to take whatever is working and make it deplete because, you know, you're, you're, you're not ready to, 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 you know, handle all that. So when we went multi-site, um, we did it from a position of, we've got to do something uh, to manage, you know, growth. So you said we added the extra um, um, auditorium. Uh, you know, we we grew so quickly. We we actually built a building bigger than we thought we would need long term, um, or or for the near, you know, a good you know good period of time, and thought we'll have three or four years to to grow, get our feet under us, and within. I can't remember the exact dates, but it was with it was less than a year. So I want to say maybe within eight months we were out of space in two services. It had to add a third service, and and quite honestly, we were just like in that moment of going, we've got to figure out a stopgap measure because we were hmm. again. This was back in started in '95, built the building in '98, and so this is like '99, right in there. The um, the conventional wisdom was still. You build what you build phase one, and then phase two is the five to seven thousand seat, you know, you know, big auditorium that you know that everybody sort of is like, this is what you know we're going to do, and so um, you know that's what we did. We built the first phase, had the plan, the master plan, had the big building out front, and um, but we grew so fast we couldn't we could not add the the you know the second phase big building. 
So we just said, okay, what's the cheapest, quickest thing we could do? Let's add a building, uh, an auditorium the same size, just on the backside of the, um, the stage. And we will build it so that we could convert it to children's classrooms for the big 7,000 seat, whatever it was going to be thing out front. And, um, you know, the, the story, and I can't remember the guy's name, but I think it was a, a security guard. After we had opened the, the uh, West Auditorium is what we call it. You know, I guess it had been open a few few weeks or months. Uh, he, Andy's walking out to his car and the guy just made the joke. He goes, you know, if that works 20 feet away, you think it would work 20 miles away. <laughs> we were like, you know what? It just, you know, it just might, you know. So uh, that actually began our conversations of, hey, is it better to build phase two here or do we look for where's the next best opportunity to build a, another campus? And so we began at that point to, to you know, look at where everybody was attending from. I want to say 30 to 40 percent of our attenders were coming from about 10 miles north of us. So we began to look for land about 15 miles north of us so that we could offload people there. And that became our our. Um, what we called or one of our guys called a cannibalization strategy that our, our campuses were built to cannibalize other campuses. So, uh, you know, so we built because of the momentum at a campus, not just to go into a, a, an area. Um, so that was our initial plan. Brownsbridge was going to be our first campus. You know, of course, God has other plans. And a group of people from Buckhead came to us and said, we want to start a church like North Point, but, you know, we want to do it here. And so we, we took that as a providential opportunity, started working with them. So technically Buckhead Church started while we were looking for the land for Brownsbridge. <laughs> and uh, so that's how it became our second campus. And uh, and then in about three or four years, we we opened both of those buildings uh, in 2000, right around 2006. You know, I've heard... Uh, bits and pieces of the North Point story for years. And one of the things that often always comes up is Atlanta didn't need another church. It needed a different type of church. Right. And what was unique about the kind of church that you all launched, which had, was just unheard of at this time in the early 90s, was it was strategically you know, designed to be irresistible to unchurched people. Right. Um, I, I wonder how are... What's irresistible about church for people back then versus now? Hmm. I mean, people are a lot different. Issues are a lot different. Culture is a lot different than it was back in the mid-90s. When you all do your planning services or when you watch younger campus pastors put their ministry plans together, are the needs the same? Are we still dealing with the same timeless issues people have? Or are you finding, you know what, irresistible means something different now than it did back then? Well, I mean, I think, you know, obviously, you know, people want to be better, you know, better spouses, better parents, better, you know, children to their adult parents, you know, better members of the community. They want to, they want to follow Jesus more effectively. So a a lot of the the base needs that most people feel and have felt for years um, is, is, is the same. Um, and I would say that, you know, most churches would say exactly that's, that's, you know, those are the very same things that we, you know, are trying to meet and trying to do as well. I think for us, um, the, the different kind of church that we decided to, um, 
to to start at least in the in the Atlanta area was that there were very there there was there were no churches in the Atlanta area that were um, were outward facing in, in to the community to say we want to partner with you know those people who attend here to reach their friends and their family you know for Christ not as an as an evangelism strategy but as a church hmm. um, strategy as a model strategy so we you know we would say we want to partner with you in reaching your unchurched friends and family and by that what we 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 meant was we don't want people to show up into a room and feel like no one thought they were going to be there uh, you know it's kind of the the illustration we would always give is it would be like inviting you know people over for dinner and then just going about your night as if they weren't there you know you go into the living room have a seat you know ignore them do whatever it's like well in many ways that was the the church culture that uh, existed in most of the churches uh, in atlanta at the time where it was church was for insiders and then evangelism was for outsiders so we would you know it was sort of that hey we're gonna all go out on monday night and we're gonna you know we're gonna you know, share our faith, do evangelism and do all that and, you know, hopefully lead them to Christ. And then once they're an insider, they're going to come in here and then we're going to tell them how to be an insider. And so uh, the problem with that is most people didn't do that. You know, most people were like, I don't want to go out and I don't want to do that. You know, but if you will partner with me and you will create a place that is expecting my unchurched friends and family to come, I will partner with you in doing that, both helping you fund it, staff it, and inviting my friends and my family, you know, to come to it. So mm. um, that's that's what we meant by creating a, a different kind of church, a church that was as, as concerned about who we were reaching as who we were keeping, the way we used to say it. Whereas most churches, um, you know, are, are more insider focused. Uh, one of the things that we say, you know, again and again is that, and, you know, that, that, you know, Andy coined the phrase that, you know, the gravitational pull of the local church is to the insiders. And so it's, 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 it's just an is, it's not like nobody intends for it to happen. It's just that, you know, the, the insiders are, they're the, you know, they're the people who pay the bills, the people who, you know, have your phone number, they're the people who are able to, to reach out, you know, to you. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's the old squeaky wheel gets the grease mentality. It's, it's when all you hear from are insiders, if you don't resist that pull, you will be drawn you know, toward them. And we're just as susceptible to that as anybody is. So we have to uh, purposefully think with the outsider in mind, think with um, you know, the, the unchurched friends and family that we have in mind. And uh, the, the phrase that we use is we assume they're in the room. And so we, mm -hmm. we wanna make sure that, that everything we say and do is done with the filter that someone took a chance on inviting an unchurched uh, friend or family member that day, and we don't want to mess that up. We, you know, we want to make sure that we don't put an unnecessary obstacle between them and following Jesus. And so, um, you know, we we tend to over-explain things, or we tend to not do some things that you know, maybe, you know, would be done, you know, on a regular, you know, in a, a, a service that doesn't have that filter. And, um, you know, we, we, we respect the viewpoints of, of unchurched and, you know, and unbelieving people. And so we may be teaching something that if we think is particularly, wow, wow that may be a little harsh, we just say, hey, you know, and you've probably heard Andy say this many times, it's like, you know what, 
if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, this may be the reason why. It may be because, you know, whatever he's, he's talking about. It. But, but then he'll put it in a perspective so that they can can at least understand it, if not accept it. So mm-hmm. we we want people to be able to belong before they believe and to feel at home and not feel like they're listening in on, you know, something that they're not a part of. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's certainly been... Uh, one of the main things you guys have have taught me and so many others, and I and I'm I'm saddened to say that was that was revolutionary back in the '90s. <laughs> you know, I think uh, you, you know Hybels and uh, and Warren kind of got the idea going of being seeker driven or sensitive, and and you guys kind of made it a little bit more focused on okay, let's be irresistible, and right. and it's just sad to think that for so many years, and this is the reason I never invited anybody to my home church when I was a kid, was it was, you know, the 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 congregation of the secret handshake. Everybody knew, yeah. you know, when we stand, when we sit, when we sing, and it's just, it was weird, and right. and suddenly, you know, you guys just changed the way that so many of us yeah. thought about church, well, and, and a lot of it had to do with how we thought about teaching, too, so, yeah. oh, go ahead, I, I cut you off there. Well, I was, I was going to say, you know, you ask what, has anything changed that is is irresistible. I, you know, I, I do think some of the things that haven't changed, you're about to, I think, address one is, you know, helpful teaching that is taught in a clear, you know, and applicable way that, that helps, you know, helps my life to be better. You know, and as, as Andy said, we think, you know, following Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. And we want to provide, you know, teaching that gives them handles for a better life and for, you know, effectively following um, Christ. And, um, you know, one of the other things we believe that is, is irresistible, we think excellence is irresistible. Um, at the same time, I will say one of the things that has begun to shift in, in culture is that, um, not that, that we were ever inauthentic, but authenticity has begun to become in some ways the new excellence. And so, um, in, in, you know, we're, we're, it's not that we're not still pursuing excellence, but we want to make sure, and we have a filter now to go. Hey, are, is this an authentic experience? Is the is what the worship leader saying? Is it is you know is that authentic? Are the you know are the messages authentic? Are we addressing topics that that have a, a a real life feel, not a you know not a hey here's what we think you should believe or or think, but you know here's what we're hearing, here's what we're seeing, and you know we're addressing that. So I, I do think that in the last thirty years. Uh, what is you know those things that are irresistible have begun somewhat to shift, hmm. but um, you know not not to the point to where I would say, you know what, you know what has you know what what we were doing then are, was more or less uh, irresistible. I, I do think we've we've tried to always stay uh, current with you know with worship with you know the things that everybody does it's just like you know you don't want to get stuck in a time you know or a time warp where you walk in and go oh wow this is the 19 you know this is 1995 you know or this is you know 2008 or whatever so uh you know i i think we're committed to that you know as well and part of that is you know you just keep hiring enough young people and they're <laughs> going to keep you they're going to keep you authentic and irresistible. So let's talk about that a little bit. You guys have hired a lot of young people, and your role has changed multiple times. What's the next yeah. decade look like for you? Uh, you know, I think for me, the the exciting thing about probably the last uh, five years and what I probably feel like for the next five years is that 
I've been able to move, um, you know, more into a coaching and developmental role than in a, a director, you know, it's like, so is it going to be this way or that way? Is it going to be up or down? Are we going to go on this day or that day? You know? So, um, that's, that's been exciting for me, uh, because, uh, you know, the older you get, the more sort of accumulated wisdom you have, but also the, the, uh, the excitement goes from doing it to watching others do it and helping people to, to, um, you know, to, to succeed and to see them accomplish things that, you know, maybe they even didn't think they were able to. Now, the great thing about a lot of our young leaders is that we are very competent and very confident leaders. So most of the time they think they're going to be able to do it anyway. So I, I, I'm, I'm happy about that, but uh, watching them succeed, uh, you know, Rusty, when you've raised kids, you know, you, you realize, wow, that is the ultimate win. The ultimate win isn't, you know, always just getting it right. It's it's watching someone else get it right and and sort of helping them along in that that journey. So for me personally, uh, about five and a half six years ago, I moved into the multi-site role and just began having the opportunity to invest in and to, uh, in some ways, develop. But most of the time, just help uh, you know our lead pastors. Um, navigate the organization and navigate uh, just, you know, ministry and, uh, you know, and in some ways just help point, you know, things in the right direction and, and then just watch God do what he's going to do through them. So uh, that's been super exciting. And then getting to meet guys like you and through the Irresistible Church Network. And, and you know, when, when we began that, gosh, so many years ago now, um, I don't think anyone imagined that, you know, it would have the the life that it has, but that's been super exciting. And uh, I get to be a part of that. Justin Elam, guy you know, uh, one of the best leaders I've ever had the chance to work with leads that team. But uh, we're just in a fun season now where we're, you know, we're learning alongside everybody else. And we, we meet these uh, guys like you and, and other leaders across the country. And we think, wow, that is so cool what they're doing. And we learn and then we talk about it and sometimes we get credit for it. So that's a win-win, but, um, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just a great season of, of really seeing the next generation begin to step up and find new ways of expressing uh, some of the same principles that we expressed one way they're finding new and different ways of doing it. And uh, so that part is, is, is really, it's really cool. Let me ask you this question, Lane, because uh, I've watched you do this effortlessly. Yeah. Um, there are people listening to this podcast that they they are not the lead pastor or they're not the person in charge, but they work for the person that is. Mm -hmm. And so they're in the number two role. They're in the second chair. They're on a team or a committee or whatever it is. Right. What could you share that you have learned uh, about how the you know what's the best way to support the person who's the leader while you're not the leader mm. because there's times that you need to support publicly and then behind closed doors you need to let them have it. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you critique in a way that honors them? How do you warn them about a potential danger coming their way? How do you encourage them in a way that's different than what everybody else says in the lobby? Yeah. Uh, what have you learned? And I know some of this is personality driven, and what Andy prefers is not what others right. do. But what have you what have you learned about yourself in that role? that could be beneficial to somebody else. Yeah. 
I think you just you just touched on one that um, we've talked about for years that, that, again, Andy has talked about is that idea that public loyalty, it, that's what breeds private influence, that, you know, if you want to earn private influence with someone, you know, you you give them public loyalty and 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 that's not a whatever you say. Yes, I'll do it. It's we get in the room, we talk it through, we make a decision. And when we go out the door, we're all behind it. We don't undermine it. We don't go, well, I didn't want to do it anyway. But, you know, that's what he said we had to do. And I mean, it's like, no, that's the decision we made and, and we're behind it. And and you support it. And that is what gives you the chance when you go in the room and close the door to say what you need to say and to have what Lincioni calls unfiltered debate. And um, that's the been the basis of our organization from from day one. And yeah, there's there was a ton of unfiltered debate, especially in the early days when we were in, in some ways making this up as we go. We're trying to figure out what are the guiding principles? What are the core values? What are the, the ministry principles that and practices that are gonna you know, form the core of what we're doing? We, you know, we had long and honest debate on those. Um, but it was the ability to go out of the room and support both Andy as the leader, but, you know, almost more important, support the mission and vision that we had all agreed to and decided on and, and, you know, be behind that. And, um, Mm -hmm. Andy is a very, um, open-handed, um, and, and, you know, super humble guy. And he, there's, there's never been a time that I've been like, Hey, can I, you know, can I tell you something? Can I point something out that he's not been like, absolutely. You know, so it's not. There's, there is no, well, you know, I think I can do two of these a year. So is this one of those? Do I bring, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not that at all. It's, it's, you know, it's like, wow, I can, you know, I can point out anything. Now at the same time, as you said, some of this is personality. So how you do that, you know, approach as, you know, again, I, I quote Andy all the time, because again, I've worked for him for 30 years, but approach trumps content hundred percent of the time. So you can be exactly right. I can be like, hey, I know, you know, where I think, I, you know, I disagree with something, you know, he's decided or the organization has decided or whatever. And I know my approach will determine whether or not that's, you know, received really well or, or you know, not as well. So, you know, and that's the that's the personality, you know, piece of it, you know, as, as, as he always says, I would love to know what everybody, you know, if you have a thought on my message, I would love to know it. I just don't want to know it before Tuesday. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> give me a day, you know, to press, you know, don't come up after service. You know what I would have done there? I mean, it's like, you know, well, I know what, you know, I know what I did and I'd rather not know what you would have done right now, you know, but that's, <laughs> that's how we all are, you know? So, mm-hmm. so, you know, approach is, is super important. Um, mm. but I, and that's where I think knowing yourself, you know, the, the more self-aware you are as a leader, the more you'll know what your motives are. And, you know, is this because I want to be right? Is this because I want to be seen as right? Is this because I just want to prove I know something or I've got an insight here? Or is this because, uh, no, I think if I don't say this, the, you know, the organization might suffer or it could be better that's you know if that's what motivates you then then any leader worth following is going to be wide open to hearing you know any of that so having self awareness to know you know why am i wanting to to share this is number 1 and the second thing is being aware of your leader knowing how your leader you know likes information knowing how your leader accepts it and you know what's the best way to approach them 
you know, Andy's uh, an Enneagram one. He likes facts and he likes them in bullet points, you know? And so, I mean, it is like very much, you know, hey, here's what I think, here it is, you know, succinctly and put through and he's able to process it and go, okay, I see what you're saying or I agree, I disagree, whatever. But, you know, if I start off and go, you know, six years ago and you started this long, you know, I know it's not, you know, it may be interesting, but it will not be effective. Uh, So I think that's part of it too, is know yourself, know your leader. uh, But, you know, down deep, if, if there's someone that you work for that, you know, you know, I can't tell them the important and, and critical things, then, you know, you may be, you may be wasting your time or at least wasting the, you know, the ability God has, has given you to, to, to use in ministry, because ultimately you don't want to, you know, you don't want to work for somebody who's not open to what's best for the organization. The caveat to that being, it just may not be what you think. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we always, you know, tell people, hey, challenge the process, bring your ideas, but don't assume you're right. You know, we we love to be challenged. We love to have new ideas. We love for people to push back. But just because you push back doesn't mean you're right about it. So mm-hmm. you got to be humble as well when you, when you do that. Mm. That's so good. Well, Lane, as always, uh, when I talk with you, I end up taking notes, uh, even if... uh, That's because I quote Andy a lot. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Fresh stuff from you. Buddy, you've been such an inspiration to me and countless other pastors, so thank you for all you've done and the way that you have served out of humility, but also out of wisdom for so many years. So, great job. Finish strong, and thank you so much. Well, thanks, Rusty. I will say, and just take a minute here to say... And I say this to countless number of, of, of people when they say, hey, what's, you know, what, what excites you most about what you see happen? You know, it, life changed absolutely, what God has done absolutely. But the most confirming thing that I see day in and day out is when leaders such as yourself choose to come alongside us and work with us and, and be a part of what we're doing. That is so much confirmation of what God has done in and through our organization. So I just appreciate so much what you and so many other guys like yourself have not only brought to the table, but have how God has used you to affirm and reaffirm what he's done here. So thank you. Thanks, buddy. Well, such great stuff from Lane. I love that guy. He's been such a tremendous inspiration to me and has provided such great resources for our church. And I'm grateful for him being on the show. Next week, we're back with brand new content with a guy that you've not heard of, but man, you won't forget. His name's Brian Hickson, and he is literally a uh, brain scientist, might be the best way to talk about him. He actually is going to help us make the brain simple. You're not going to imagine or believe what he has to say. It's incredible. So he'll be back with us next week. Make sure you check out sagacounseling.com to find out more about marriage and family therapy or counseling. And they will be able to walk you through all the resources they provide, sagacounseling.com. Well, thanks for being with us. And as always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.